Welcome to the Impact Masters Commission Bible Study Podcast. Join us as we study the Bible verse by verse. I'm your host, Pastor Josh Hawkins. We're going to have some deep, thoughtful, and hopefully helpful discussions to try and discover together what it means to be the followers of Jesus. Christmas cookies. I love Christmas cookies. Sorry. I love all forms of cookies. And if it's not the schedule and they pushed it back a day, then it's hamburgers from yesterday. No, we're still Okay. Yeah. I did it for like four years. Yep. The thing is, when I worked at the daycare, my my wife, it's well, she's my wife now, she wasn't my wife then. Right. Her mom did all the cooking. Really? Yes. And she was unbelievable i worked with jody but jody was doing something else she wasn't cooking it was beautiful and then she cooked for me at her house too so like i would eat dinner there also there at at their house yeah well let's pray i don't know where we're going to go today i have notes on Timothy, but I kind of have a sense that we're headed a different direction. I don't know. You know, as exactly. Yeah. So Father, we love you so much. And um, Lord, I'm, I'm so, I'm so grateful for you and the way that you enter each of our lives so beautifully, graciously, Father, do what you want to do today. Say what you want to say. (coughs) Amen. So what's on your mind, y'all? That's, um, <laughs> it's allowed. I, I just, like, yes, I'm excited for Christmas, and I love Christmas with my family and everything, but I am also just, like, a mental break. Mm-hmm. I just really need it. So. I understand that. Yep. And I'm going to come back to you in a mental break from my family. <laughs> 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 Maybe I, uh, I don't think I've ever looked forward to a break. Like, yeah. I, like last year, I guess I've only, it was only like my third or fourth one, but I've never been like, yes, I need this as much yeah. as I am right now. So Yeah, I get that. I Ever since I became the pastor at Fremont Community, I, I'm 
ready to go on vacation about three months before I'm able to go on vacation. How long have you been a pastor there? Really It'll be six years in April. Wow. And um, every year has just been... I'm going to have to start taking vacation at a different time because I'm not going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> Although I am I am this year applying for a grant with the Lilly Endowment. Did I ever tell you guys this? I'm applying for, for a grant with the Lilly Endowment. Um, they, they give grants to pastors to take uh, sabbaticals. Wow. And I wouldn't, they wouldn't, this grant is for 2022. It's not for... Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a ways away. Um, maybe 2023. Anyway, I can't get my hands on the money until like another, a year from now. Sure. But they will give you up to $50,000 no to support your sabbatical. And it's required that your sabbatical be three months at least. Well, you just take three months off from being a pastor? Yes. And the money goes towards whatever it is you're going to go do on sabbatical. Like if you're going to go, you know, write a book or or going to take a trip with your family or go to Israel or whatever it is you want to do, the money's for that. And then fifteen thousand of the fifty thousand, the church gets that to like pay for people to come in and preach for you and sure. whatever. To cover the expenses. Yeah. Being gone. <clears throat> so I'm going to apply for it. Yeah, well, that that's part of the requirement. The church, the church has to agree to continue to pay me. Yeah. Yeah, my dad's been to Israel many times, and a couple of those trips were free. I've never been, and I really want to go, but my wife doesn't want to go. <laughs> no, she's like, it's dangerous. It's I do not want to go. I said, fine, I'll take my dad. <laughs> he can just show me around. Well, see, that's the thing is, his first trip to Israel, his dad took him, and I'm going. It's time to return the favor here, Dad. Two. He has two sons. And two daughters. But I'm his oldest. And and I'm a pastor. Whereas the other ones are not. That's very true. So I feel like I get first dibs on the Israel trip. <laughs> no. No. He's not. But he should. He got he got gifted a trip to Israel by his dad. Of course his dad is an insurance salesman who has crazy money so uh, you know it's a little different my dad does not so i'd love to do that but i've never been because i'm the only worry is that i wouldn't leave once i got there because i oh israel does something to me just thinking about it (sighs) yeah they sent me to to Bethel for a prophetic conference a few years ago for Christmas. Maybe they can send me to... Where's <laughs> Exactly. Or actual Bethel, which is in Israel as well. That's true. <laughs> uh, I want to go so bad. My friend Hannah graduated from Indiana Wesleyan. Her parents gifted her a trip to Israel. They would never. And she, like, 
went to this Muslim church service. Like, well, they wouldn't let her in. She was outside of this Muslim church service, and, like, she literally led, like, 30 Muslims to Jesus outside Whoa. of this church. Like, crazy stuff. That is crazy. Which, obviously, that could happen here, too. Like, that's not, I don't believe Israel. Yeah, but in Israel, it's a good way to get shot. Really cool. And, like, the cultural likelihood of that happening is just I have so a cake in my Oh, I'm so sorry. A kink. It hurts. It might help. Have you taken any medicine? It hurts. I don't know. It just happened like 15 minutes ago. I'm just like... I would recommend like naproxen sodium or ibuprofen. Oh, ibuprofen. Well, no. Those are two different medicines. Naproxen sodium is is Aleve or Midol. (laughs) Um, And then... <laughs> it is, yeah. Uh, and I'd be perfect. Both of them are anti inflammatories and they would help with a kink. Like, oh, <laughs> or go to the chiropractor. I used to I have I have had back problems for a long time and this guy uh was like you know, he taught me these two, like, yoga things that you're supposed to do for that. And I was like, whatever. But then I tried it, and it, like, helped, like, immediately. And I was like, okay. So I don't do yoga, but I do those two poses. rich. I like yoga. I don't think it's a, as long as it's a physical practice and not a spiritual one. I'm, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. You can invite Jesus into it. Yeah, certainly. But, but yoga as a spiritual practice involves yes. like aligning your chakras and, yeah. you know, I, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah. Okay, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's. I've, I've heard of, of churches having holy yoga. Have you ever heard of Have you heard of that? Mm-mm. Yeah. I think that's interesting. So instead of like some other meditation and they're meditating on scripture and things of that nature. I have no problem with an embodied practiced faith. I think we need much more of that in our lives. An embodied practiced faith because Jesus saves all of you, not just your brain, not just your spirit, but your body as well, and we need to our our bodies need to be a part of our faith. Um, but what that looks like is going to be, you know, interesting. Getting the church to do it is always interesting. I was trying to trying to teach the the church to pray some prayers that were physically embodied, and people gave me very weird looks. Well, you pray, but. Like, as you pray, you're also taking up a physical posture. Okay, so we we did two. We did the Lord's Prayer, <clears throat> and I, I coupled it with physical postures. And then we prayed through the, uh, through the uh, armor of God with physical postures as well. Where, you know, like for the helmet of salvation, it's like, you know, that kind of thing. Put, put your hands on your head and... and Kinda, yeah. I mean, very much, you know. Oh, that was close. So I want to read Zephaniah chapter three to you, because that's that's I can't get away from that. So I'm going to obey the Holy Spirit, and we're going to do that. 
And this is from our Advent Week 3 reading. So that's appropriate. Okay. Zephaniah. How many of you ever remember actually reading Zephaniah at any point in time? It's a very small book. It's a lesser known prophet. I'm pretty sure my mom has read it to me several days before. So I've read it. The first couple of chapters are pretty gloom and doom. Uh, God's bringing judgment on Israel, blah, blah, blah. But when we get to, we get to Zephaniah chapter 3 and the tone radically changes. We're going to be reading Zephaniah 3, 14 through 20. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing as on the day of festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all your oppressors at that time, and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home. At, this, at the time when I gather you, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. That's good. But I want to focus in on verse 17, second half of verse 17. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew your, you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Do you picture God reacting that way to you? Is that like the regular way that you think about God's reaction to to, to you, to your presence, to your life, to like that here comes God. And just like always, he is renewing me in his love. He's exalting over, uh, he's rejoicing over me with gladness. He's exalting over me with loud singing. Have you, is that a picture that you have of the father? I would say it hasn't always been, but this really ties into what our theme for the year has been in our girls group with Laura, Josh's wife. Mm-hmm. Like she, we literally spent the entire first semester talking about, because our theme for the year is falling in love with Jesus. But yes. the first like semester, we talked about understanding how much God loves us. Like you have to understand that before you can begin to even love him in any capacity of the way that he loves you. Amen. And so I would say probably before this year, no. But when you're saying that, I'm like, man, we're, Laura uses the word romance and lavish yes. and like these things. And we've been talking about this. The girls have all year long. So I, I love like, that. Yeah, it's, it's totally what we've been covering. And we weren't 
even this passage, the very first week, she talked about, oh, daughter of Zion. Like, this yeah. is what Laura's kind of been teaching us. So it's funny that we talk about it today because we have been studying. So good. And, like, the word romance, Laura uses it a lot. And we've been talking about how, like, I literally, when she first said that, I was like, Laura, that is so cringy. <laughs> and she was like, she was like, but she thought so, too, at first. Like, yeah. when the Lord revealed to her, I want to romance you, she was like, ugh. Because Gross. we picture this earthly image of what romance has been made out to be and like all this cheesy stuff and we've just been kind of like redefining what that means and God's love for us and everything and it, it goes along with that passage. So I think Laura has changed my, Laura, well the Lord through Laura, what he's been revealing to her and what she's been praying with us has definitely changed my view. I would have never thought that before, but I think I do now. So that's. I love that so cool. much. I love that so, so much. Laura is an amazing lady. She is. I respect her so highly. I really do. I, I have for a long, long time. I love her heart for the Lord. And I love that she's teaching you that. You know, the Bible does. It says, we love him because he first loved us. Yeah. In fact, it says, we love because he first loved us. That we're not even capable of loving until we've received God's love for us. That, yeah. that is the fountain of our love for anyone, for others, for him, for ourselves. It all comes from receiving the love of the Father for us. And as we drink deeply of the well of, of his love for us, then we're enabled to love others, to love at all, uh, in the way that God has called us, has called us to love. Uh, my One of my all-time favorite books of the Bible is the Song of Solomon. And uh, I've, I've, taken, <laughs> I've taken Master's Commission classes through Song of Solomon before. I don't remember how long ago it was. It wasn't last year. It would have been at least two years ago. The Song of Solomon, how many of you have read it? Okay. Has Laura been talking about Song of Solomon at all? Not really. Actually. Oh. She briefly mentioned She it. should. I mean, unless I just missed something. I don't feel like we've really gone in that direction with it. But the concept, like I've read Song of Solomon before. The concept of it, yes. My, so, but she hasn't talked about that book. My old youth pastor, we talked about like once. He was like, I encourage you guys to read it, but ask your parents first. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, ask your parents well, before you just Song of Solomon it. is overtly sexual. Um, although it's it's a poem, so it's there's a lot of innuendo and and whatever. But from the very beginning, it has been read by those who read it as not just the story of Solomon and his favorite wife, but of the story of God and his people, and the journey of the young woman, the beloved, out of insecurity and into trust in in the love of God. She begins her journey at the beginning of the book by saying, I am dark, but lovely. By 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 expressing her desire for the king, she's like, I, I want to go to there. Um, you know, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Hubba hubba, isn't he handsome? That's the beginning of it. But she immediately looks at herself and says, but well, why would he want me? 
There's no way he would want me. I'm not, I'm, I don't deserve the attention of a king. And the book is all about the king leading her out of that insecurity to where one of the last things that she says is, I am his and his desire is for me. She comes to the place where she recognizes that this isn't one-sided. This isn't just, yeah, I like him and so I'm, no, but, but that he has desire for her, that he longs for her, that he wants her in his life, that he is overjoyed by the fact that she is his. And that that for her is this astounding thing she never would have been able to believe at the beginning. And she fights against that belief all through the book. Um, it's, it's wonderful. Maybe, maybe the Lord's leading us to that after Timothy. But I'm opening up here. Uh, and we begin to read some of the things that the lover, the, the God character, has to say over his bride. Things like, My dove in the clefts of the rock in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. You know, that's him talking to her. The king talking to this little peasant girl that he has completely fallen in love with, but she doesn't, she finds that very difficult to believe and understand. Do you feel that God feels that way about you? That's my question. Do you honestly, in your guts, in your bones, feel like God desires you? What would it what do you think would happen if you started to believe it? Like actually believe it. Say that louder. Confidence. Yeah. Absolutely confidence. What else? Joy. Amen. Right. But there, like, I can't identify a certain moment or a certain thing that happened. But even when you say, can you feel it in your bones? Like, I literally, like, my arms start to tingle. Like, I really can feel it. And I don't know when that shift happened, but I know when it did. 
my convictions got a lot more serious. Like, mm -hmm. somebody said to me one time, my friend, she was like, you hear from the Lord all the time. Like, you're always saying, I heard from the Lord. I'm like, yeah, because he won't leave me alone. Like, he's, always, <laughs> he's always, like, in the most loving way, but I do feel like, like, I cannot escape that voice of the Lord anymore. And Amen. that's beautiful. Yeah. Like, it's beautiful, but it really is, like, I joke about it or whatever, but it's really, like, all the time. I just... I really feel the presence of the Lord differently now, and I'm so grateful for it. But I don't know how I really arrived there. Like, I can't give anybody a play-by-play. -play. I don't know how that happened. Nobody can. You can't. Yeah. There's no way to do that. The closest I can come to giving you a play-by-play -play is to lead you through, lead you through Song of Solomon. Yeah. Um, because it's we're watching her journey into honestly believing that she loves him. And, and going with her on that journey enables us to see, to, to, to be, to make our way closer to honestly believing that God loves us. Um, but that isn't something that we can manufacture. Yeah. It's not even something, and it's absolutely something I pray for. One of the things that I, one of the prayers that I pray often, often, often is Ephesians 3. I think it's 14, where the Apostle Paul says, you know, I, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family on earth derives its name. And then it goes on, you know, and he, he goes on to say that his prayer for us is that we would be strengthened by God's spirit in our inner being so that we would be rooted and grounded in love. And that we would come to know how high and how wide and how deep is the love of Christ. That we might be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. That, that's, that prayer, the Apostle Paul is praying that over the church at Corinth. My prayer for you. I love, I love Paul's prayers. Paul never says, Lord, I pray that you would heal their sniffles. He never says, Lord, I pray that the budget will come in for this month. Paul's prayers are always pointed at almost always pointed at our understanding of who God is almost always pointed at revelation knowledge that we would, that we would experience something about God. And in this case, he is praying that we would come to experience the dimensions of the love of God for us. And that in experiencing that and the word that Paul uses to know, have we talked about gnosis? In here, I, I, I always forget which class I'm talking to. But there's kenosis and then there's gnosis. Anyway, it's, there's two word, two different Greek words that are translated as know in the New Testament. And a lot of other a lot of other languages have different words for, for those for these two ideas. One of them is to know something is a fact, like I know one plus one equals two. The other one is to have intimate experiential knowledge of a thing. And we use the just the one word, K-N-O-W, for both of those. But you say, I know that one plus one equals two. That is not the same thing as when you say, I know that person or I know that town. Right? Like, And that second aspect of knowledge, that intimate experiential knowledge, it's the same thing as like in the book of Genesis when it says Adam knew his wife and she conceived. Okay. Um, 
It is, it is up close and personal kind of knowledge. And Paul is calling us, asking the Lord to give us up close and personal kind of knowledge of the love of God. Something that goes beyond, like you said, I have always known that Jesus loves me, but now I know it in my bones. Like this is a bedrock reality. I base my own self-worth upon God's feelings about me. We will radically change. And the more we know about God's love for us, the more we're enabled to love others. That's absolutely the truth. And what's commandment number one and commandment number two, y'all? The first and greatest commandment and the second and greatest commandment. Go. You shall have no other gods. No, that's ten commandments. The two great commandments are, that's number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's number two? Love others as yourself. That's correct. So what is the primary thing? What what is the primary thing God wants us to do? To love. And how do we do that? By loving others. Well, yeah, but how do we get there? If I commanded you, be happy. Are you able to do that? Just flip a switch inside yourself and go and be... Really? (laughs) No, I can command you to look happy, but can I command you to be happy? But here's God saying, commanding us to love. You let him love you. Correct. That's what we have to do. We have to take the walls down, take the mask off. We have to allow God to love us so that we're enabled to love him and others. That's what it looks like. So really the, the, the journey into Christianity, the journey into that we call following Christ is really the journey of learning how to be loved by God. That's it. How to be loved by God. That's the whole thing. And as we allow ourselves to believe his love, to trust his love, We will love. So, as you go home on Christmas break, these next few days, what does it look like every day to try and grow in loving God and loving others? What are you going to do? <laughs> That's important. Sure. And I was reading, um, was I reading? I can't remember if I was reading this or somebody told me this or I saw it in a video very recently, though, like last week. They said something about, he was John here. He said, Your prayers? Yeah, it was a podcast. Sorry, I'm, my brain just thinking. You're all right. It was a podcast, John and Lisa Kabir. They were yeah. talking about loving difficult people. And he said, 
I used to think my prayers were fake when I would be like, Lord, bless this person. Because I, like, in my heart, I didn't really want that. But I disciplined myself to pray those prayers anyways until the Lord changed my heart. Yeah. And I thought that it was just really good because I can find myself doing that. Like, well, why would I pray for them? If, like, it's not that I want them to get hurt or anything. It's I don't want to see them hit by a bus. It's hard to pray blessings and good things over people who yes. are really bothering you sincerely. Yeah. But John Bevere was just saying, don't let that, like the enemy gets in your head and says, why would you even pray it if it's fake? Well, it's not fake. It's you disciplining yourself to pray because the Lord tells you to pray for them. So it's disciplining yourself to do what the Lord yeah. desires you to do. And, yeah. and it's, takes pleasure in you doing that until the Lord changes your heart. Yeah. Like I get stuck in this. My heart has to change before I can pray for them because of my prayers are not coming from a good place. Yeah. But that's actually like, that's just the enemy convincing me not to pray for my Well, enemies, And it's backwards. Yeah, that's not backwards. how, that's not how the human being works. Yeah. Human beings always do before they feel. Mm-hmm. For instance, did we? I keep thinking we talked about this before. Maybe I, it's just deja vu. But for instance, okay, I have. I know we talked about this last time. I think. <laughs> I'm so sure of myself. For instance, when my kids, okay, my ten-year-old and my thirteen-year-old were bickering and fighting and whatever, and I made them stop and I made them look at each other and say, "I love you." And to hug. I made them do that. Right? Were they feeling it at that moment? No. Was they feeling the love? No. No, they weren't. So why would I have them do it? Just to be mean? (laughs) No. We always do things before we feel them. We always... Like forgiveness. You have to choose to forgive before you can feel like, before forgiveness becomes a reality in your heart. You have to say it. I forgive you. Even though at first you don't feel it, it's a decision you keep making over and over again until it's real on the inside. Same thing with how many of you have built any habit at all in your life? Okay, let's say exercise, Bible reading, uh, uh, learning an instrument, uh, any habit at all, right? Hopefully, some of you have cultivated habits in your life. Um, when you go out to do that thing at first, is it easy? No. Is it fun? No. <laughs> but over time, it becomes both easy and fun. Now, I am not a person who exercises on a regular basis. Surprise, surprise. Okay? But I am told (laughs) that when you begin to exercise, it really stinks at first. But give it six months or a year, and it's like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'd get through my day without my workout. Right? Told the same thing about, well, I can, okay, let's, let's talk about this thing right here. Americano? Indeed. My first, when I, when I first started drinking coffee, it didn't taste like coffee at all. It was chocolate, 
Well, no, I mean, I didn't. I oh, I did okay. things to it so that so it you didn't. Would drink, like, a latte I would drink a latte. Like, I would put a ton of creamer in it. I would do. Right, but now if it doesn't taste like coffee, I don't want it. Right. Why? They call it acquired taste. That's right. You have to. You have to acquire the taste for it. It takes time. At first, you're not going to enjoy coffee. But then as you move forward, it's like, wow, I love coffee. And I can really tell the difference between good coffee and bad coffee. Back, back in the day, I could not tell the difference. People would be like, you know, I'd be like, I don't care. If it's brown and wet, just give it to me. I don't care. <clears throat> it doesn't matter. Now it's like, oh, no, that's crappy coffee. Like, you know. Or even if it's not brewed correctly, I can tell. Okay. And that's because of the time that I've spent drinking coffee. It has formed me into liking coffee. But I didn't at first. It's true with anything, though. Any habit that we, that we eventually have starts out as weird and different and difficult. But the more we do it, the more it becomes real on the inside of us. There's a book which I would absolutely recommend... Man, I'm going to have to... I'm, I recommend books to you every week, I know, but um, i got to go back and look up the name of this one real quick. It was... Which, this book talks exactly about this. Um, A.K. Smith, I think, is... Or K.A. Smith. What is that guy's name? Is the author... And it messed with my head in beautiful ways. Such incredible, powerful ways. If you're looking for books to read, and I'm sure you're not, but if you are. Oh, I know I have it in here. I'll tell you what, this one messed with my head beautifully. It was, I was really mad at the author for a while. That's always good. Um, that's one of the ways I know if it's a good book or not. <laughs> it's terrible, but it's true. Oh, I can't find it. Anyway, I think it's, it has to do with, it's, it's, the idea of the book, the big idea of the book is you, you will love what you do. So start doing things that you want to love because eventually you'll love them. But you have to start by doing them. And eventually you'll love them. So what are you going to do this week? As you're confronted with annoying family members. As you are in awkward situations. So outside of this, what are you going to do? Jesus has commanded you to love these people. When they're spouting political ideologies that are absolutely opposite to your own. When they are, when they are bad-mouthing Jesus himself and the gospel. When they're telling you that you're wasting your time in this discipleship program. What are you going to do?
the other cheek. <laughs> it's about learning but, but to love also, them. I've been so guilty of this. Like, do not pray that they change their mind. Like, not like, oh, uh, I pray that they... Well, I, there's a different, there's a spiteful way to do that. And there's a, like, there is, is you and there is a self-righteous way of praying for people. You, yes. That's not, there is a self-righteous yeah. way of praying for people. It's the, remember Jesus told the story of the, the, the Pharisee and the sinner who were both in the temple and the Pharisee's like, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this guy over here. Right. Right. If that's the kind of prayer you're praying, God's not listening. Like, No question. But that, like, that's not what I meant. But like, me not first. Not pray they don't change, but praying. Maybe we should, and maybe we should pray that the Lord helps us to inhabit their mindset, so that we can understand where their hostility is coming yeah. from, and that we can meet them in that place. That's a different kind of prayer. That's a better kind of prayer. All right, we are going to end our time together, my friends. We're going back to the ninefold prayer that I prayed at the end of last time. And I want to spend some time with it. It says praying through the Beatitudes. Okay, we're gonna we're just gonna sit in this thing a little bit. This has been so good for me. But this is exactly what I'm talking about. Because each one of these Beatitudes that Jesus gave us confronts a reality that exists inside the human heart. And calls us into a more loving way of being. Okay? So, you ready? <laughs> you guys are so unfocused today. It's really... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry for you, you know. <laughs> I feel like the Lord has beautiful things and I feel like there's a lot of static. So, Lord, clear up the static. Let's focus. So, Jesus said, this is, this is how we're going to pray through these. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We recognize that our first instinct, the pattern to which our flesh leads us, is toward worry and anxiety a mindset of consumption and hoarding and self-preservation to where we're going to get ours, where we are led to a zero-sum game where there might not be enough for all of us, so I need to get what I need, and I'm not really worried about anybody else. That's where our flesh takes us. To scrabble and fight and protect what's ours and not to trust. But Jesus in this beatitude is inviting us to recognize that we are children of a loving father. Here's something that the last time I prayed this, the Lord really led me to. In this beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus is pointing at people who do not have enough 
and he's calling them blessed. Why? Okay, it's because it's only when we recognize that we are not able to provide for ourselves. that we can open our hands and ask the Father to provide for us. It's only when we recognize that we're not able to take care of ourselves completely, that everything that exists in the world, that everything that we have is a gift, even our own abilities to provide for ourselves was given to us by God. Only as we recognize that, Recognize our complete dependence upon God for all that we are and all that we have. It's only then that we are brought to the place where we can open our hands and trust him. Trust him when he takes things away. And receive things when he gives them with real joy. So we pray together, Lord, lead us in the way of open-handed trust. Amen. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. As my first instinct, my first, my knee-jerk reaction, when I feel emotional pain, for me, is to exit the scene to cease to exist, to numb myself out, to seek an end to pain, but not necessarily an end to the cause of pain. But this beatitude, Jesus is inviting me to feel my feelings. To recognize that pain is not my enemy. It's a gift that leads me to the places of brokenness where Jesus can meet me and bring true healing. And that process of allowing myself to feel of acknowledging loss, of grieving. We call that process lament. And it's about half the Psalms. I don't know if you've read the Psalms lately. It's about half the Psalms are laments. But Americans, we're not good at lament. We want to pretend everything is happy and we see sadness as failure is not. It's the beginning of joy. So we pray, Lord, lead us in the way of lament. If you have comments, questions, or thoughts, this is an open conversation, so throw them out there. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. My first instinct is to build my sense of worth on competition and comparison. 
to rejoice when others fail, (laughs) to feel insecure when others do well and I don't. This beatitude invites me to recognize and acknowledge my intrinsic unearned worth and dignity as a gift from God that is mine no matter what. And to look beyond myself and see that same worth and dignity, the very image of God reflected in the faces of the men and women around me. Even Josh Francis. It's only then when I have a true sense of who I am in the world that I can live in actual humility, which is not degrading myself and lifting up others. It's seeing the truth and not being afraid of it. So we say, Lord, lead us in the way of humility. Thoughts, feelings, reactions so far? I feel like those are really exalted some of the stuff that is in me. It's ugly, isn't it? Like, yeah, but it's just like, I, I'm not afraid to be like, ooh. <laughs> I am so like, because yeah, like I love Jesus, and I know that Jesus loves me, but he for does. the rest of my life, I'm going to, like my flesh is always going to be in here. I can't get rid of it. And so it's just like, it almost feels good that it's it being feel good. like exposed because I'm, I'm just sitting here being like, yes, I need to pray this every day because that yuck naturally exists in me. It does. Every time I pray this, and I've been trying to pray it every day, I sit with each of these, and the Lord just uncovers new new layers of gross. And I'm in the place of, of repentance, but at the same time, real joy. It feels good because I don't feel rejected by God. I'm being invited into a more loving way. And so I love that so yeah, much. Like I feel exposed, like but not really. <laughs> but in not that bad. Way. I'm like, okay, get it out. I am not afraid to be naked in front of my wife. Does that feel weird? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand that, but it's true. Yeah. I'm not. She's completely accepted me, right. and I've completely accepted her. We love each other, and this is fine. It's not embarrassing at all. When we can get to that place with God where we can be emotionally, psychically naked with God and know that he sees us completely and yet feel no shame. Oh, that's a good place. Let's continue. Jesus said... Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That word righteousness could be also translated justice. Our first instinct is to see how broken and disgusting the world is and to throw up our hands in frustration 
and resignation. Now, what can I do about all of that? But this beatitude invites me to own my power, to recognize that I'm the light of the world and the salt of the earth. To recognize that God's not called me to fix anything, but to be something that is fixed in the midst of the broken. To recognize that God has called me to action in the times and places in which I live. Not to fix the whole world system, but when I see a hungry person, feed them. When I see a naked person, clothe them, etc. And that everything I'm doing, I'm doing in participation with God's strength and not out of my own ability. So I say, Lord, lead us in the way of justice. Jesus said, blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. My first instinct is to judge what is good and evil, both in others and in myself. I would seek punishment and retribution to others, and I would heap shame upon myself. But this beatitude invites me to see everyone, myself included, through the eyes of mercy and compassion. The fruit that Adam and Eve took from the tree, it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were, they were making a decision that they would be the ones to decide what was good and what was bad. They were making an admission that they were the ones that got to judge, taking it upon themselves. And in doing so, they broke the world. When we lay down, when we lay down that sense that need that we have to evaluate everyone and everything. When we stop cooperating with the enemy's accusations against others and against ourselves, that's when we are shown mercy. in that place. When I stop pointing the finger, then all those fingers stop pointing back at me. (laughs) So we say, Lord, lead us in the way of compassion. That word compassion, it means to suffer with means it's like what we said earlier. I'm going to pray for that person that is, has set themselves up against me. I'm not going to pray, oh, Lord, they're so broken, fix them. My prayer is, Lord, put me in their place so I can suffer with them and I can be inside of all of the things that are leading them to this unhealthy view of me. 
only there, it's only in that spot that I'm able to love them as Jesus loves them. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This one messed with me big time today, guys. Our first instinct is to hide ourselves, to protect ourselves, to put on a mask, to project the image we want everyone to see, to play the angles. How can I appear so as to manipulate others, including God, to do what I want them to do for me? This beatitude invites us to take off our masks, to be in the light as he is in the light, to meet others with honesty about who we are and what we want, and to not be afraid of being rejected, and to not seek a way to finagle them into doing what we want without making demands of them. It's only when we are only when we are exposed that we can be healed and transformed. So we pray, Lord, lead us in the way of right motive. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Our first instinct is to think in terms of us versus them, my family, my tribe, my country, my friends. This beatitude invites us to acknowledge there is now no longer Jew nor Greek, free nor slave, male nor female, but all are one in Christ Jesus, to reach past difference and to connect to see people as they are, to recognize them as someone deeply loved by God and to invite them into a space of cooperation where no one is dominating anyone else, where no one is being duped or tricked into cooperation or love for each other. We are invited into a place of living with power for cooperation, participation, and advocacy. I'm a nine on the Enneagram, and so I'm supposed to be a peacemaker, but the real way that most nines make peace is by eliminating themselves from the situation. I cease to have an, a need or an opinion of my own, and I submit to the needs and the opinions of others. That's not what biblical peacemaking looks like. So I repent of doing that and calling it peacemaking when all I'm really doing is not seeing my own worth and power. Two more, we're done. 
Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Our first instinct is to violently stand in protection of our rights. This isn't fair. That's not okay. To rant, to complain, to carry a sense of victimhood which gives me righteousness. But this beatitude invites me to nonviolent resistance, to surrender to suffering and struggle, knowing that we are a part of a greater cosmic battle between good and evil. Jesus laid down his life on the cross and as they were nailing him to the wood, forgave those who were killing him. And in doing so, shattered the systems of this world. We are called to participate with him in this way. So we say, Lord, lead us in the way of surrender. Jesus said, blessed are you when people hate you and say all kinds of bad things about you because of me. Our first instinct is to fear death and suffering, misunderstanding and resistance. So we close down and we protect ourselves. This beatitude invites us to expect pushback as we adopt the Jesus way and to stay open to love by dying to ourselves and embracing the cross, thereby ending the cycle of returning sin for sin. So we say, Lord, lead us in the way of self-giving, all-forgiving, co-suffering love. Amen.